What Tennessee game means the most in 2024? Which one's the most important? It's one that's early and one that's near and dear to the heart to the head football coach at Tennessee. That and more. It's your Thursday Locked On Ball. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome into it. I'm your host, Eric Kane. I appreciate you guys for being here, making Lockdown Balls your first listen. Shout out, as always, everydayers for making this show what it is. Got a lot to get into today. Most important Tennessee football game on the 2024 schedule. This stem from a conversation that uh, that SEC podcast had, Michael Bratton and company, and, and we're going to revisit some of the things that they said and kind of spin it off in, in, into our own little segment here in terms of which games mean the most for Tennessee in 2024? That's coming up in a matter of seconds. Some of your mailbag questions in segment two. And then I wanted to, because of a couple of midweek games, I didn't get to record after a late, I didn't want it to be a super late night on Tuesday night. Um, so I didn't get to record after I saw the basketball game. And man, I just want to take a few moments and, and, and talk about the Dalton Connect show because <laughs> it's what it is, man. It's a show. It feels like every time it steps on the court, Tennessee basketball. A good come-from-behind win on the road a couple nights ago at Missouri. That's coming up in segment number three. So that SEC podcast, they put out a graphic. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to I'm gonna show it here. And they put out a graphic earlier this week on the top 10 SEC games in the 2024 regular season. Most competitive games in the 2024 regular season. You see a list right there. You see a lot of logos. But you see the Tennessee logo. Don't be confused with the Texas logo, of course, because the Longhorns are in in the conference now. But um, you see the Tennessee logo three different times on this list of top ten. Coming in at number three, it's Tennessee against Alabama. Of course, that game's going to be on the third Saturday of October inside Neyland Stadium. That is number three, only behind Alabama, Georgia, and Texas, Georgia. You can live with that, right? I mean, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, you go all the way down to number eight, and it's Tennessee at Georgia. Well, it makes it makes sense as well. This might not be for the SEC East anymore, but this is a top flight SEC program, two top flight SEC programs, the cream of the crop in Georgia and Tennessee that is still continuing to be on the rise. And so that game means an awful lot. I recognize that. And then you go down to number ten, and it's Tennessee at Oklahoma. Of course, we know the storylines. Josh Heupel's going home, or Josh Heupel national championship with, with, with the Sooners. Um, coached there, kind of where he got to start in coaching. And we know that all the national storylines are going to be about Josh Heupel going home that week. But that's going to be a really competitive football game because you have two five-star quarterbacks taking over, two top 15 teams most likely beginning the season, two top 20 teams beginning the season, and it's an early road test to kind of kick off your schedule if you're Tennessee. So I can certainly understand that one being on the list. Uh, what this means for how I kind of want to spend it and make it our own here is, well, what's this mean for the most important game for Tennessee on the schedule next football season? If I were to ask you, what would you say the most important game on the schedule for Tennessee is next season? Of course, got that Oklahoma game towards the top of the schedule. Florida's going to be at home. Alabama's going to be at home. Uh, you got Georgia on the road. In between that, you got Kentucky at home. That's always a big game. Um, couple, couple of contenders, of course. 
But the most important football game on Tennessee's schedule is that September the 21st battle in Norman, Oklahoma. It's Tennessee at Oklahoma, <clears throat> excuse me, for a number of reasons. Yes, as I mentioned earlier, the national storylines. Josh Hopple goes home. There's not going to be hardly any talk about the actual game that's going to take place. It's going to be interview this, interview that, going home, Josh Hopple, Oklahoma, Bob Stoops, uh, Mike Leach. Um, it's going to be a whole lot of talk about everything but the football game, in my opinion. But when it comes down to it, Oklahoma is a solid football team. You are probably downgrading a quarterback because we don't really, much like Nico Iamaliava, we don't exactly know what Jackson Arnold is yet. But a former five-star prospect, really, really good player. Um, played in the bowl game for Oklahoma, much like Nico did for Tennessee, and so he's got his toes wet a little bit. Solid run game, good offensive line play. I mean, Oklahoma is a solid Oklahoma football team as, as much as you expect. And we'll continue to dive deeper into the matchup, obviously, as the summer goes on and we get into that game week. But why is it the most important? Well, in my opinion, you start the schedule out there with UTC. That should be a dub on August 31st. You go for a, 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 a pretty solid non-conference game at a neutral side against NC State. It will be a top 20 team. Uh, most likely in the preseason polls or a top 25 team, and it's got an upgraded quarterback uh, with Grayson McCall. That's going to be a challenge. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be a challenge. Um, but I think Tennessee has the better football team, and so Tennessee should win that game. So you're 2-0. Come back home for Kent State, you're 3-0. Your first, I don't want to say challenge, because I think NC State will be a challenge. Tennessee should win that game, but it will certainly be a challenge. But going to Oklahoma that following week on September 21st is your first SEC game. It's your first high-caliber competition of the season. It's big, and you have a bye week coming after. So you don't want to go on the road where Tennessee has struggled at points in times over the past two seasons. Go back to 2022, loss at Georgia, okay. Uh, loss at South Carolina, that was inexcusable. Go to 2023 season. You lost to, Georgia, you lost to Florida on the road, which was a bad Florida team. Uh, you, got, you had a second-half collapse at Alabama. You did win at Kentucky, which was good, but much like Kentucky and much like Florida, those histories kind of write themselves. Florida, over the course of the last 15 years, has owned Tennessee. Tennessee, over the course of really its football history, has owned Kentucky. Uh, a lot of that is you kind of know what you're going to get walking into those games, but Tennessee shouldn't have lost to that Florida team on the road because that Florida team was not good. And I don't think this Florida team is going to be very good either at home. So, of course, that's that's a massive game, Tennessee-Florida in a moment, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, Tennessee has struggled on the road a little bit. Florida, Alabama the second half, um, of course, Missouri. You just didn't show up against Missouri in 2023. So it's going to be a big test for a number of reasons, but it's going to be your first road test. And I think that's going to be so critical for setting the tone of this football season. So Oklahoma's there. you got an off week. Then you go to Arkansas. You're going to be on the road again. But Arkansas is not to the caliber of a football team that you are right now. You should win that game. Of course, I mentioned Florida the next week is going to be at home. Alabama is going to be a massive game at home. Alabama, though it still has a really good collection of players, you're, you're fooling yourself if you don't think that roster still has tons of talent. Has it lost talent? Absolutely. Will it be better at one position compared to where it was last year? I don't think so. But that doesn't mean that that, that roster is still not talented. Nick Saban still recruited all those players. Okay, and you add in a little bit of some Washington flavor, of course, Kellen DeBoer's there, and, and some guys via the transfer portal. It's still a solid football team. It is going to be at home. So I like that aspect of it for Tennessee. But then you have a bye week. Then at Kentucky, or against Kentucky at home, 
It's going to be a challenge, but you should win that game in Mississippi State. At Georgia, we know that's going to be a challenge. UTEP at home and then at Vanderbilt to finish off the regular season. So when I saw that SEC podcast put out their top 10 most competitive games, and I was already kind of thinking which game is most important for Tennessee entering the 2024 season, I was thinking Tennessee at Oklahoma. And, and that game did make it at number 10 on this list. Uh, top 10 competitive games, top 10 games in the SEC schedule for 2024. According to that SEC podcast, number one is Texas, Georgia, two, Bama, Georgia, three, Bama, Tennessee, four is Ole Miss, Georgia, five is Texas, Oklahoma, six is LSU, Ole Miss, seven is Bama, Missouri, eight is Georgia, Tennessee. We knew that one would be on there. Nine is A&M and Texas, and then 10 is Texas, excuse me, 10 is Tennessee and Oklahoma. So I think this is going to be a good game. I think it will be one of the top 10 competitive games in the SEC this year. But here on Locked On Vols, I'm saying I think Tennessee at Oklahoma is the most important game on the schedule for 2024 because it will set the tone for the season ahead. How you do, how you play on the road against Oklahoma, whereas I think you're a very competitive roster, very, very similar in rosters, okay? But I think you might have the talent edge. How do you perform on the road plus a massive, I mean, you have that neutral side game against NC State, but you have a massive first true road environment game that Nico's going to face. It's going to be huge. That game is so very important for Tennessee in the 2024 season. All right, when we come back, we'll hit up some of your mailbag questions. That's what you had to look forward to as we continue on with a Thursday show right here on Lockdown Vaults. I want to tell you about our friends over at eBay Motors, passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and leveled up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts to choose from, your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money is back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive today at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. More to come on Locked On Vols when we return here on a Thursday show. All right, as we do each and every week, wanted to get into a mailbag segment of the show. Typically, we do this on Tuesday, but I was traveling throughout the week, so... Um, we're doing it a little bit later in the week. You can always send in your mailbag questions if you have any at underscore Kaner and at Locked on Vols. So I put out a little uh, little feeler there in the YouTube community tab asking for questions. Got a couple in there, and I appreciate that. We will go to Trist and Tristan Malone, I believe. Okay. How many recruits do we get before May 1st? And is there any blue chippers? Example, wide receiver Jamie French. Uh, we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, you know, one of the junior days got canceled in January because of the snow. You had another junior day towards the end of that month. February's dead. You're going to have a junior day in March, and then, of course, you'll have spring practice. So, you know, the month of March is going to be huge in terms of who do you get on campus, who comes to that junior day, who comes in to see Tennessee play um, Tennessee play some uh, – I uh, have some spring practice practices – the orange and white game, of course, is going to be big on April the whatever it is. And then you see that May 1st deadline you're giving us here a couple weeks after that. So, I mean, a lot can change. It's always fluid. But um, typically, if you're at, if you're talking about blue chippers, you know, Tennessee is in search of 
one, hopefully two blue chip offensive tackles. You know, Tennessee is very much in it with five-star number one offensive tackle in the country, David Sanders. Uh, one Gaston's a four-star, but one Tennessee covets just as highly as David Sanders. One Gaston is a name to keep uh, on the radar. Jalen Matthews, who was in for a junior day at the end of um, at the uh, the end of January, he's a top 100 player, I believe, 120 player. He's an offensive tackle. You hope that at least one of those offensive tackles can maybe jump in the boat by then, or you know, the official visit month is the month of June. A lot of these guys, especially if you're blue chip or my weight, do those OVs, do a couple of those OVs, and then make your decision in July. So if Tennessee doesn't get a quote-unquote blue chipper by May the 1st, it doesn't necessarily mean that Tennessee's behind. Remember, you did get George McIntyre. He's your quarterback. He is a blue chipper. He's a top 15 player in the country. He's in this class, and so that is that is huge. Justin Baker's a really nice running back. You got a couple of nice DBs from Milton High School, uh, from Milton, Georgia. Um I like Tennessee's class so far, and I got a tight end that's going to be on the rise. Uh, so if you don't get a quote unquote blue chipper by May the first, it's not the end of the world. But keep an eye on those offensive tackles: David Sanders, uh, Juan Gaston, Jalen Matthews, Ethan Utley, defensive lineman from the state of Tennessee, and Cam Sparks, athlete uh, from the state of Tennessee, going to be wide receiver. Maybe one of those in-state guys could pop before May 1st. I don't know if they will, but that'd be huge. Radarius Jackson is not considered a blue-chip prospect, but he's another wide receiver in-state that Tennessee covets very, very much. So those are kind of the names that I'd be paying attention to right now. Let's go to Brian Roberts. Do you think Inge, William Inge, Tennessee's new linebacker's coach, was brought in as a possible replacement for next year's defensive coordinator position if Banks takes a head coaching job? It's a good question. It's a really good question because Tennessee was close to losing Tim Banks uh, this year to MTSU. I'm not saying anything was finalized. I'm not saying that you know Tim Banks was out of here and then was was called back. But you know he was a coveted prospect. He was a coveted candidate for MTSU. His name was right there. And so you lost Alex Golish to USF after the 2022 season. You know, Tim Banks, MTSU was was floating around there. There's going to be continued programs and schools coming after Tim Banks. Um, I fully expect it to happen next season, and if he's next offseason, if he's still here the following offseason after that, he'll be a head coach one day. So it's a good question. Um, you know, Brian John Marie is a former defensive coordinator. Uh, he's, of course, at Michigan, but maybe he could have been a candidate if Tim Banks were to have left. Um, Willie Martinez has been a defensive coordinator in the SEC before. I'm not saying that he would be a candidate if Tim Banks left, but um, you know, I'm trying to think of guys on staff right now, or in Brian John Marie's case, who was recently on staff. And and heck, maybe if Tim Banks leaves, just like Brian John Marie went back to Michigan for this season, maybe you entertain bringing back Brian John Marie as a defensive coordinator in the future. But to your point, William Inge, who was called a defense before, who was the co DC for a national championship appearance this past season. And as a couple of you guys have pointed out to me in the YouTube comments, as a guy, as a team that shut Bo Nix down two times. Yeah, I mean, he he's certainly capable of it. Do I think this is a move to have in place if Tim Banks were to leave? No, I don't think that the hire was made. Remember, Tim Banks hired this guy. I mean, Josh Heupel, of course, is in on it. Josh Heupel signed off on it. Josh Heupel was very much part of the process, but this is this was a lot of Tim Banks. And so do I think Tim Banks or Josh Heupel signed off on the hire knowing that this could be the D.C. after Tim Banks leaves, if Tim Banks leaves? No, but he would be a candidate, in my opinion. 50 years old. 
He's done this for a long time. He's called his own defense. He's got tons of experience coaching the defensive line and linebackers. I don't think he's ever coached the secondary, but that doesn't mean he can't be a defensive coordinator. So um, the answer to answer the question, I would say no, but he would be an option. Uh, but I don't think he was brought in specifically for that. Good question. We will go to Rick next. Um, you keep mentioning that the SEC should absolutely go to a nine-game SEC schedule. Do you not think that if the SEC did that, big non-conference games during the regular season uh, would almost be non-existent? In my opinion, I'd much rather see us play as Clemson, Miami, etc., rather than another SEC game we already see every other year. Um, that, that's a good question because right now the rule is eight-game conference schedule plus one Power 5 non-conference schedule or non-conference game. That's why you see Tennessee playing NC State. Why see Tennessee playing Pittsburgh? Why Tennessee played um, Virginia last year? You know, so on and so forth. To me, I hear you. If Tennessee were to schedule Ohio State, if Tennessee were to—I mean, Tennessee's played Oklahoma a couple of times, so that's that's been big. If Tennessee was to schedule Miami, if Tennessee were to schedule USC, I mean, in the history of Tennessee football, sure, you you played Notre Dame, you you played some of these big high-profile schools, but. More often than not, you get the Syracuses. You get the West Virginias, which I think is fun. You get the Pittsburghs. I mean, to me, I'd much rather play another SEC schedule. And more than anything, like I said before, you know, as a fan of a school from the Southeastern Conference, you pump your chest. Every team in the conference does this. I'm not just talking about Tennessee fans. But you often pump your chest and say, hey, we're the greatest. It just means more. Well, if it just means more, then, then saddle up and play another conference game like the Big Ten does. The Big Ten can say, well, why are you scared? It's a pride thing for me. <laughs> Big Ten can say, well, why are you scared to play another conference game? I mean, that's just kind of kind of what it is. But if the SEC continues to have that caveat of a nine-game schedule, which it's going to happen, and reports are that it's going to happen in 2026, if the SEC still has that caveat that you have to retain playing a power conference game outside of your schedule – which I think is still on the option, that means you're playing 10 Power 5 or Power 4 games and two non-Power 5 you know, games, whether that can be FCS, that can be Group of 5 or whatever. If you were to do that, then that means Florida can continue to play Florida State. Georgia can continue to play Georgia Tech. Uh, South Carolina can continue to play Clemson. Kentucky, Louisville, so on and so forth. Those big-time games, those rivalry games that have been on the schedule for decades and decades. So I do think that that can happen and that'd be fun, but I don't know if you go to another conference game, if, if the sec will continue to have that caveat in there. I don't know. I, you know, we'll have to see. I'd be for it again. I'd rather see Tennessee play 10 really good opponents, two cupcakes, and then see where you stand in those, uh, those college football playoff rankings towards the end of the season. That's certainly what I would like to see. Um, got a couple more questions here. We'll go to Robo22. Love your baseball coverage, so please keep it up on your shows. Appreciate that. Uh, does the baseball's defense lo look really good this past weekend compared to last year's team? Do you think we have a chance to be a much better defense all season, even with the moving parts in center field? Um, even with the movable parts in the center infield. Okay, sorry, center infield. Yeah, talking about Christian Moore. At shortstop right now, is that his long-term spot? Will he move to second? Will Ariel Antigua take over shortstop? Um, you know, Brad Key Lowry, is he going to stay at second base? Some injury situations there, so I know what you're saying. But, um, yeah, I, I would say yes. Um, it's been four games at the time of this recording, and Blake Burke looks so much better at first base. Um, Dylan Dryling, I think, is a, 
an outfielder that's only going to get better. Hunter Ensley has already made several highlight plays to begin this season. Billy Amick has at the hot corner. Um, Christian Moore made his first error Tuesday night, but before that he was looking fine at shortstop. Um, I think Cannon Peebles is getting better behind the plate, and I think Cal Starks one of the better defensive catchers in the, in the Southeastern Conference. So to answer your question, and Kavars Tears in right field has an arm, to answer your question, I think so, yes, because in years past – the defensive miscues weren't as often huge because you were scoring 10, 12 runs a game. You might not be scoring 10, 12 runs a game. You might be scoring eight or nine, you know, on average or whatever, you know, um, consistently. But I think the defense is going to be much better. It's a good question. Really, really good question. Um, last question. We'll go to my direct message box. This is from James. It's another baseball question. I tend to think the optimal lineup would be Simo, Dryling, and Amick at the top of the order. You think we'll see that? Uh, we'll see Vitello try that at something at some point in time, potentially. Um, I think Hunter Ensley in the two hole I love. I think you'll see Dylan Dryling lead off at some point in time. Now, will he lead off against lefties? I don't know. Christian Moore. I mean, a lot of times you want to make the case by saying your best hitter needs to hit lead off in the college game, and I, I recognize that, but. Simo with his right-handed bat, you want in the middle of the order, in my opinion, because he just puts the ball in play. That's why he'd be a good two-hitter as well. So do I think we'll see Simo lead off? Maybe. I don't know. But I do think you'll see Dylan Dryling getting an opportunity to lead off, and you'll see Billy Amick, Cannon Peebles, Christian Moore, and the other day it was Kavar's Tears hitting the cleanup, kind of in the middle of your order on routine. Um, secondly, on the podcast from the competing entity, Ben said, Ben McKee said he'd be happy to give the shortstop job to Christian Moore for the rest of the season, while Rucker, Wes Rucker, says uh, the team would be at its best if Antigua can get healthy and take over the shortstop job and push Christian Moore to second base. Thoughts on this? Um, You know, we'll see. I haven't seen Ariel Antigua play shortstop enough to make that declaration. Um, I, I've seen him play some in the fall. And he saw it. He was in the leader in the clubhouse coming out. I do think Christian Moore has done a fine job at shortstop so far. I do think Christian Moore is better at second base. I'll say that. So the thing with baseball, I don't think it has to be an absolute. I don't think it has to be an either or. In baseball, for three different games on a weekend, you can have three different defensive lineups. Versatility, utility. I mean, look at the Texas Rangers last year. Look at some of the you know Major League Baseball teams that have made deep postseason runs the last couple of years. You have movable objects. So depending on who's in the lineup that day, a lefty or righty on the mound, who you want to go here, you can move some things around. I do think you'll see Christian Moore at second base, maybe even in the outfield in certain spots, potentially uh, throughout the season. But uh, I wouldn't say that I'll leave him at shortstop right now no matter what I think you need to have the options and, and ability to move him around because if you take Brad Key Lowry out of the lineup you're probably getting a better hitting lineup in there by getting Ariel Antigua in the lineup once he's healthy so a uh, good question we'll continue to monitor that as the uh as the season goes on hey when we come back we will uh take a look at Tennessee basketball um what a win what a Dalton Connect show <laughs> that he put on at Missouri a couple nights ago that's coming up next as we continue on with this edition of Lockdown Balls Get buckets with your first bet at FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That is $150 
Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live, same game parlays, exclusive props, and a whole lot more. You got college basketball happening right now. You got the NBA season coming up, or NBA season on into the second half of the slate. You got college baseball coming up. You got Major League Baseball coming up. Um, there's you know PGA Tour on the weekend, and NASCAR has officially started. There's no better time to put some coin in your pocket, have a rooting interest in the in the uh, sporting event that you're watching, than right now over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Just visit FanDuel.com/slash/lockedon and shoot your shot. FanDuel is the official official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Talking Tennessee basketball when we return right here on Locked On Balls. Okay, so again, had a couple of midweek basketball games. Uh, this week, so didn't get a chance to record about the uh, talk about the Tennessee basketball game at Missouri late on a Tuesday night. But I wanted to spend a couple of moments here because good teams find ways to win. Tennessee is a good team on the road. It might not feel like that. In fact, during the Missouri game, I turned to somebody I was watching the game with, and I'm like, "Man, how can this team do what it did at Kentucky and then look like it did on the road at College Station? Look like it does on the road right now at Missouri? It just feels like this team can't win big ones on the road consistently." Well, if you look at the record overall consistently, Tennessee is one of the better teams on the road in the Southeastern Conference. It didn't look like that early on at Missouri. I think both teams lost, you know, missed like their first four, uh, more than that, I think their first eight or nine shots from the field. Whatever the case was, Tennessee was trailing by three at 29 to 26 at the halftime break. Uh, Tennessee shot really, really bad from the field in the first half. Shot 30% from the field in the first half. Dalton Connect did not hit a field goal in the first half. He was 0 for 6 from the field with two points. Toby Awaka is what kept Tennessee afloat with eight points in the first half and six rebounds in the first half. But Tennessee was just not doing well in the first half of play. And then Tennessee came on strong like any good team with depth and volume can do throughout the course of a season. Dalton Connect, he didn't hit his first shot until the 13-18 mark of the second half, but boy, did he go on a tear. He had six shots in under six minutes, a jumper at 13-18, a free throw at 12-43, a layup at 10-16, this is on the clock, another three at the 9-42 mark, another jumper at 9-01, and another three at 8-23 to help Tennessee go from down five to up eight again in a six-minute stretch. Dalton Connect, he was 0 for in the first half, 0 for 6 from the field, two points. He scored 15 of his 17 points in the second half on 3 of 4 from three-point range, 6 of 10 from the field in the second half. He had six rebounds. Um, man, he was he was truly incredible. It is the Dalton Connect show right now for Tennessee. And, and again, Toby Walker, who had eight points in the first half, he had 10 points in the second half, four more rebounds, had that double-double easily. Jonas Adu came on strong in the second half with 10 points and three, uh, three rebounds and two assists. You know, Tennessee, good teams find ways to win when you're not playing your best basketball. And for the first 20 minutes of that basketball game, Tennessee was – Nowhere close to playing its best basketball. And and Rick Barnes, credit Rick Barnes, he made a lineup change, essentially. He went with two bigs. You know, Tennessee plays with a small lineup with Josiah at the four so often. That allows Josiah to be at the four, Santiago, Zakai, and Dalton Connect to be kind of in that backcourt, and then Jonas Adu to be out there. You took Josiah out. Josiah Jordan-James played only six minutes in the second half. Toby Awaka and Jonas Adu played 20 and 14 minutes respectively in the second half. He kept two bigs out there 
and Tennessee went on this run. Does that mean we're going to see two bigs more often than not with Josiah coming off the bench? I don't think so. I'm not ready to say that. As Rob Lewis said on the VolQuest podcast earlier today, um, I think this had a little bit more to do with Josiah than trying to get, just get two bigs out there on the court. But, hey, it worked. And it's something that you can look back on and say, well, it worked that time. Why don't we try this again? Tennessee in the second half just put on a show. Uh, man, you had Dennis Gates, the head coach for Missouri, who was just speaking remarkably about Tennessee after the game. Dropped an F-bomb in his, in his post-game press conference, too. Um, which which I thought was uh, rather interesting. It was kind of a weird flex. He spent the entire press conference talking up Tennessee, complimenting Tennessee, talking well about Rick Barnes, talking well about Dalton Connect. And then he went on this little tiny mini rant about how his team could not get to the free throw line. And if you look at this, Missouri... Mm, hold on. Missouri from the free throw line... Got to the free throw line 21 times, so I'm not really sure what he's talking about there, but went on this little rant about how his team does not get to the charity stripe and convert on the charity stripe, and he dropped an F-bomb, which is funny. But he said um, at the very beginning of his press conference, what a basketball team. This is Rick Barnes' best team from top to bottom from a depth perspective, and he talked about Dalton Connect. He said he got the he got the SEC Player of the Year, and then he's like, well, at least he's got my vote easily. He's, a, he's like, you probably got a national player of the year there in Dalton Connect, or at least a contender. And he spoke so highly of Tennessee basketball team. So I thought that was really, really good. Um, man, just what, what a show there from Tennessee basketball. Despite it being a really, really slow start, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And Joe Lenardi, of course, there's more basketball games late last night, but I'm recording this in front of a second midweek baseball game. Joe Lenardi late Tuesday night had Tennessee on the fi the fifth overall seed. So again, just banging down the door of trying to be a number one seed where Purdue's at one, UConn's at two, Houston is at three, and Arizona's at four. Tennessee, a, a two seed, but the highest two seed, according to this latest projection from Joe Lenardi, two, late, late, late Tuesday night. Tennessee is the five overall. North Carolina is the six overall. Marquette is the seventh overall. And Kansas is eighth overall. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see you know how Tennessee continues to continues to respond and continues to play. But make no mistake about it, it's a show right now. It is the Dalton Connect show. Every time he steps out there on the on the court, and if he's missing some, going through a tough little stretch, stay tuned because he will work himself out of it just like he did in a monster way. Tuesday night in the second half against Missouri. That's all the time we have here today. Appreciate you guys for being here. Making Locked On Balls your first listen each and every day. We'll come back on a Friday show. We'll get you ready for Tennessee basketball over the weekend. We'll talk the latest in Tennessee football. All that and more. It's coming up next on your Friday Locked On Balls. Until then, stay tuned, everybody. <laughs>